Hey, this is Dr. Priyanka Venugopal, and you're listening to Weight Loss for Unstoppable Moms, Episode 38, Lessons from a Quitter with Goalie Kalkaran. Today is seriously one of my best conversations that I have had on this podcast, and it is with my good friend and fellow coach, Goalie Kalkaran. A few weeks ago, she posted about working moms on Instagram, and she was talking about mom guilt and how so much of our should thoughts really get in the way of living our best life. And just watching her on Instagram and honestly knowing her personally, I knew that I had to have her on the podcast. If you ever have felt like you should do more, you should work more, or as a mom, you should be more, this episode is just for you. You're going to learn a specific and tangible exercise, and seriously, just implementing it starting today is going to help you drop the working mom guilt too. Before I get into this conversation with Goalie, I wanted to let you know that this is the last week to enroll in the Unstoppable group for the January cohort. I want to make sure that you know that reaching your ideal weight and living a lighter life is possible for you, and it starts with making powerful decisions now. Head on over to the unstoppablemombrain.com forward slash group to learn all about exactly how we can work together. Okay, I cannot wait for you to enjoy today's episode. If you want to reach your ideal weight and create lightness for your body, you need to have simplicity, joy, and strategic decisions infused into your life. I'm a physician turned life and weight loss coach for ambitious working moms. I've lost over 60 pounds without counting points, calories, or crazy exercise plans. Most importantly, I feel calm and light on the scale and in my life. There's some delicious magic when you learn this work and the skills I'm going to be teaching you. Ready? Let's get to it. Hello, hello. Okay, everybody, I have such a special guest with you today coming to the podcast. She is the host of the very popular podcast, Lessons from a Quitter. She is a master certified coach and the founder of a membership that helps unfulfilled professionals stop hating their career. My friends, I cannot wait to bring you Goli. Goli, please come introduce yourself. Welcome to the podcast. Tell us all about you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to talk about the things that we're going to talk about because they're so important. Yeah, like you mentioned, I was one of those unfulfilled professionals. I used to be a lawyer for a number of years. I was just a typical type A high achieving overachiever who got a lot of pats on the head of like throughout school and was told I was doing great. And I did. And I went to a really great law school and I had a pretty successful career and I was absolutely miserable. And I ended up walking away from the law in 2014. And I was really lost and felt a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and all the things. I just had my son. So I was also going through a lot of the mommy shame and guilt and stuff that's put on women. And I, I just, it was a very dark time in my life. And I think that's how I sort of came to this work. And like mindset work was really helping myself figure out what it is I want to do with my life and what would my next chapter be when all I had ever done was the law. And so fast forward, I did a bunch of things. I started a different business and I ended up here. Somehow I became a life coach and then a master certified life coach. And I created the Quitter Club, which is my membership to really help so many people. You know, I mean, it's so commonplace that we all just complain about our jobs and we all just dread Monday and we are waiting for Friday. And you know, that's a third of your life. And for a lot of us, even more because we work nights and we work weekends and we do all this stuff. And so I'm really trying to help people learn how to change boundaries and figure out what they want and go after that. So that's what we do at the Quitter Club. 
I love it so much. So just a little bit of background. Goalie and I met because we were both in a coaching mastermind together. And I think it was when we met in Kentucky that, I mean, we had known each other via Zoom because we had met in our coaching group, but we met in Kentucky and I fell in love with you right away because seriously, I think that the work that you're doing, and this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast, is so deeply important. I know you work with all the humans, but you know, the, the, I would say the majority of my audience are high achieving working moms. And I think that you are just an example of what's available and not just for all the humans, but really I think of working moms as this unicorn category because we're working hard on both ends, right? We're working hard as moms. We're working hard in our high, in our work life. And there was something that you posted on Instagram, which is when I reached out to you and I was like, I need to have you come on the podcast. We have to talk about this. You posted around mom guilt and kind of shooting ourselves. So many of us have these should thoughts around how we should be. And I was like, we have to dive into this. So before we get into all of that, can you just tell us a little bit more about, you were saying that you were in this like awesome job. By awesome, I mean like a high achievers, like dream job, right? Like as a lawyer and you were patted on the head a lot and you had all these accomplishments. Can you just tell us a little bit more about how you think that that part of your lived experience led you to having all of the shoulds and kind of like what led you to even uncover this? Yeah, I talk about this a lot with my bill. First, let me just pause and say the feeling is mutual. We definitely fell in love in Kentucky. And I was like, I need to hang out with Priyanka as much as possible because I mean, it is kindred spirits. I think a lot of us, I, like you say, I actually, a, a large portion of my audience is working moms. I would say the vast majority because the standard put on working mothers in particular is impossible to meet. And so, so many people, instead of looking at that standard and saying, oh, this is a ridiculous standard, we think I'm failing, which is insane. And so I, a lot of the work that I do is try to show people like, it's not you, it's the standard and let's change that standard. But to go back to what you were asking, the reason I even got there was because so many of us who are quote unquote successful, who did what society told us to do, and we were good at it, and we were rewarded for it, you start getting these like dopamine hits on like, I'm doing good and look at me and I'm accomplishing, I'm collecting, I'm checking off the list. I'm collecting all these accolades and these degrees and I'm doing all this. And we really learn to push down any of your own needs, like anything you want, any, like that's truly the only way to get successful, right? Is you don't think about whether you're tired, you need to study. You don't think about like, do I actually like this? Who cares? You need to pass this test, right? It's, it's We learn to start suppressing who we are, what we want, what we like from a very young age. And I think that's why so many of us just wake up one day and it's like, how did I end up here? Like, I don't even want this. Did I even, I, I talked to so many people who were like, I didn't even like the law. I didn't even want to go into medicine. And it's like, but I just kept following the path because I was getting pat on the head. And I, I talk about this, not in a way of like, it sounds absurd. I'm not trying to say like, oh, woe is us where we were so successful. It was so sad for us. But I think that sometimes if you're not successful in school or if like you, let's say traditionally don't do well on tests or something like that, you have to grapple with your identity a little bit earlier. You have to really like start questioning, am I going to let society define me? Because society will try to define you very quickly about like whether you're a failure or whether you're a success or whatnot. And I think for a lot of us that fall into the trap of like what society says we're doing is good. We don't have to wrestle with that until later because we think like, oh, look, I'm killing it. I'm doing great. And so you buy into the fact that like what you're doing is the right thing just because you're winning this game, this made up game that they've created for you that like this is what a good person does or a successful person. 
And it's not until later where you like sort of look up and you're like, wait, do I even want to be here? Is this even what I want to do? Right. And you know what I'm what you just said, one thing that really I think it's like triggering such a response for me is I always talk about, you know, how I think so many of us have this good on paper life and we've gotten the the gold stars and the A pluses and we have a, a supportive family. And I think that especially for me, I'm curious whether this was part of your story and part of your journey, is I kind of felt like I should be grateful for what I have. I have so much. I I mean, there's so many people in the world that are suffering, like real suffering. And who am I to kind of complain about this good on paper life? Like, who am I to complain? And I think for me, there was that one day, I remember, I think I told you this, I was driving to work, pumping while driving, 200 pounds. And I'm like, this does not make sense. I should be grateful, but I'm not. And am I willing to be honest with myself? I think I, I held myself back for so long because I felt like I should be grateful. There's another show. hundred percent. I think that there's so many layers to that. I definitely, there's so much shame around you should just be grateful for what you have because you do have so much more. And I think an added layer for a lot of us, like, you know, I'm a first generation immigrant. My parents came here to give us a better life. I was making more at 26 than both of my parents ever made. And so there was a lot of these thoughts of who am I to complain about this? And I felt truly terrible. Like, what is wrong with you? These people left like war and they had, they talk about a hard life and you're crying about like having to work in an office, you know, like what's happening. So there's definitely a lot of that because of society, because we've been sort of programmed to believe that. But I love that you got to this realization is that I think a lot of times we think if we just push down how we feel, it'll go away, but it doesn't. It festers, right? It's like a wound. And we're like, well, let me just cover it up instead of figuring out what is this wound. And one of the things I work with a lot of people on is like, because I think a lot about that, about my privilege and what I have and how certain, you know, things were easier for me. And so then it becomes this stick that I use to kind of beat myself up. Well, like, how dare I not go out, you know, whatever the shoulds are. And I started realizing, like, I can't make myself miserable enough to help someone else that doesn't have that privilege. Like me staying in this career and being completely unhappy doesn't change other people's plight. It's just what it is, right? So I have to decide, do I need to martyr my life to say, you know what, like, because I was given this, now I should just accept being unhappy for the rest of my life. Like, when you start thinking about that, you're like, that sounds absurd, because it is. And yet, so many of us just, like, buy into that. Like, well, it should be good enough, but it's not for me. So what is it? Like, do I have the courage to really admit that to myself and decide to go after it, even if other people think I'm being ungrateful or that, you know, I should just stay? And do something about it. You know, I think that what I had to grapple with, and I think what helped me really bridge this gap is I have, and I still am to this day. So anyone that knows me or is listening, they're like, we see you. I'm very all or nothing. I think especially high achievers are very all or nothing. And I think that I used to play into that even more with either I have to completely be selfish and totally only take care of myself and be oblivious to what's happening in the world. There's that. Or there is, I have to be this martyr and, you know, I cannot care for myself and I can only care for others. And I had to really learn. I'm still learning to this day that I can have both. Like there's room for both to be true. I can not feel deeply satisfied. I can be discontent in my body, in my life, with my time, with my work, with my relationships. And at the same time, I can recognize also 
that there is suffering in the world and there are people that maybe have less than I do and there's space for both to be true. I think that that was kind of the the bridge that I was like, oh, there's space for me too. Like I can, I can honor that. What would you say like when you think about you going, because you said that you had this career, but you were miserable. How did you, like, I feel like there's a moment there that you were willing to recognize because leaving the law, it, you know, especially because you and I have, you know, becoming a professional, you have gone through years of school, training, you've invested in your education, right? I, what was that moment for you where you actually were willing to challenge that? Like, I'm willing to leave this. I'm willing to leave the law. You didn't even know about necessarily becoming a coach. No. Right? Oh, like that was yeah. on the horizon for that years. That was later. Like, was you left later. it without having a sure bet in hand. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. Tell us about I, that. I have to say like, it's for some people, there's like a moment and and there was kind of for me when I decided, but it took me almost a year to really admit to myself that I was going to leave. And because like a lot of this stuff, a lot of the work that you're doing, the reason it's so powerful is when people listen to it, it plants a seed and that seed isn't going to grow right then. It's just like, wait, there might be a little bit of like a reframe, like wait, I never thought about it like that. Can I do something else? Could I just leave, right? For me, I mean, there was like a confluence of events. And I will say, like, I have a lot of people in my program that we talk about, like, sometimes you need a nudge from the universe. Like, people sort of get laid off or they'll get fired or the business will shut down or whatever. And I'm like, hey, this is the universe being like, you know what? It's time now. For me, it just so happened that I had my son. I went out on maternity leave and we ended up deciding to move back from Arizona to California. So I had to quit my job because they didn't have an office where I was in Orange County where I was moving. So I had when before I went on maternity leave, I hadn't planned on leaving. I was going to just go on maternity leave for three months and then go back. And I, I honestly, I don't know what would have happened. I think eventually I would have left, but it would have taken a lot longer. I think being forced to slow down. One of the things that I was really happy about was, okay, now I have a little bit more time with my son. I don't have to go back after three months. Maybe I could take six months and then I'll look for another job. And so, you know, deep down, I knew I was like, this sounds terrible, but like I was happy about maternity leave, not because I was having a baby, but because I didn't have to work. And like that, should I'm like tell- leaning in. I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, this is, listen. That was a telltale sign that like, I'm not happy. I was like, oh my God, yes. I get six months away from this, right? And then as anyone knows, maternity leave is not a vacation. <laughs> Cause I was like, wait, this is my time off. What's happening? But when we moved and around like the six month mark, I kept prolonging and then I started looking for jobs and every job description made me feel nauseous. Like I just had this pit in my stomach and I would read them and I'm like, I just, I don't want to do any of this. None of it sounds good. Like there isn't one that I'm like, that sounds interesting. You know, I kept, and so I was just complaining to my husband. I wasn't even, it wasn't even in my, the realm of possibility that I just wouldn't get a job. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do this. And I don't want to do, and he, bless his soul, was like, what if you just try doing something else? Oh my gosh. Can I tell you how much I love that? Because I that know. is not the experience no. of so many a hundred people where they're, they have thoughts about their partner being like, wait, you're leaving the law? Like, what about our family? What about the income? Like all that. Okay. Yeah. Keep no, going. Yeah. I, was, I was extremely blessed that he was not only supportive, but the, was the kind of the catalyst for me. And I always give him credit. He was the one that kind of oh, like planted that seed. And I remember... When he said it, I was like incredulous. I like rolled my eyes. And I was like, 
oh, just try something else. What are you talking about? You know, I remember like yelling at him, poor guy. Because I was like, same thing. Like, I've spent over $100,000 getting this degree. This is all I've ever studied. This is my all of like seven years of, you know, my resumes. And what am I going to do? But it sort of just made me, you know, after that conversation at night when I'm lying in bed being like, could I do something else? Is there something else that I could do? And I didn't know at the time in 2014, I didn't have like, it wasn't this online business world at the time. There was podcasts like just kind of started coming out. There were some people with podcasts. But it wasn't as though I was like, oh, there's all these other things I can do, you know? And so, like, and that's why I say it took me a year. Like, in that six months when I was with my son, kind of six months after that was me really wrestling with this thought and this idea and having a million conversations with my husband. Like, what would it look like? And how long could I not work for? And what could we survive on until then? What When would I need to get a job by? And, And one of the reasons I will say, too, like, for me... I was in the nonprofit world. I was doing, I was a public defender when I was in Arizona. And there was a lot wrapped up in that, by the way, too. Like, le- like thinking about martyr syndrome, like I truly was like, I'm here to save the world and I can't stop doing this work. And so there was a lot. And I know for doctors and stuff, there's a lot of those thoughts about like that you're doing good in the world. And so you can't just stop. But what I didn't have was that there's a lot of lawyers, like you said, a lot of people, I think spouses, when you have really high paying jobs, it's hard to like take that hit of the income. I didn't have that high of paying a job, right? Because I was doing public interest work. And so when I was applying for jobs, those were the type of jobs I wanted to do. And the salaries were so... I don't want to like say it because like obviously a lot of people, this is what... No, but it just it was a joke because of the amount you work. Like every single one in the job description would say, you know, like regular nights and weekends. And every interview would be like, well, you know, this isn't a normal job. And we were usually here till nine o'clock at night. And like, I just had a baby, you know? And I think it was in those conversations with my husband where he was like, well, you could literally make that. You could go be a manager at Nordstrom and make that money. Like you don't, but obviously it's like our pride and the shame. And I was like, I can't just go work in retail. But this so much to like how women are compensated for their work. I mean, we could probably have a whole, maybe we should have a whole separate podcast conversation around women and how we are paid and how we value ourselves. I mean, we will save that. I want to put a pin in that. We're going to save that. We definitely, you're God, absolutely yeah. right. And we do have to do a whole podcast episode about that because it is very like, you know, especially female dominated roles. We're taught to sort of believe like, oh, because it's doing good in the world, I should sort of accept getting less, which is just absurd. But you're absolutely right. I just think that like, again, for every person, it's going to be a different calculation. I think for me, I had to grapple more with the identity of like, I'm here to save people and I can't walk away versus like I'm giving up this big salary. I had been making a big salary when I worked in big law, but when I quit to go become a public defender, I had already grappled with that. I was like, all right, I cut my salary in like more than half. I'm good, right? And when I started really thinking like, I could just go to Nordstrom and get a job and get paid as much. Why am I not? It was the pride, the ego, the shame. Like, well, you have a law degree from, you know, a top 10 law school. You can't just go work at Starbucks or whatever. And I think when I really, like, that was what my husband was really trying to get me to see was like, you're miserable. You come home and you make all of us miserable. (laughs) And you're not like, what are you getting from this? Why are you doing it? And there was a lot of soul searching that went on in that year. And it truly just got to the point of like, he's right. Why am I? I'm doing this to prove that I'm good enough. I'm doing this to prove that I could cut it. What am I doing? Like, I hate doing it. I'm not getting paid anything. And yet I keep doing it. So like, what's behind this? And yeah, that sort of led me on this whole self-discovery of like, 
I've always just done what other people thought was successful, what other people thought was good, what other people thought I should do. At what point do I decide what do I want? Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, you know, you, because, you know, part of today's conversation is like, how do we free ourselves, especially as high achievers who have been shooting ourselves? Like I should do fill in the blank to be a good mom. I should do whatever to be a productive member of society. And there's like such a long list, like a thick rule book that we all have for how we should be living. But you, you like, I mean, I think for anyone that didn't hear at the start, Goalie is like the, I I think of you as like the CEO of just lessons from a quitter. I think that just the name, like just the idea of quitting the word quitter and the word quitting, like it, I am sure that any high achieving working mom that's listening to this is like, <laughs> there's like 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 a visceral reaction to the idea of quitting and being a quitter. But the way that you're talking about it, I think, is so important and so powerful because it brings back powerful agency that I think so many working moms just don't have. So can you share with us like how are you redefining quitting and being a quitter? And how might I think somebody listening to this start to Plant the seed for themselves. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I very much obviously picked it intentionally and it is tongue in cheek, but I wanted to really re like reclaim that word and redefine that word because it was so absurd to me that the only marker of success that we have is sort of longevity, like the length of time that you're doing something with no regard as to how miserable you might be doing it. Right. When we think about even marriages, it's like it's only considered a success if you stay married. It doesn't matter if you're depressed, you both hate each other, you haven't, you know, you never want to be around each other. Like if you're married, then we're all okay with it. You know, everybody, like nobody judges, but if you get a divorce, then, then you're a failure. And it was the same thing. What I was realizing for me was when exactly what we kind of are talking about here is like, how do you redefine your roles and how do you redefine the standards that society has just made up? Right. So I was like, wait, somebody just decided that at 18, you make, you make a choice about what you want to do. And then the only marker of whether you're successful is if you decide to stay with it, no matter how unhappy you are. And we're talking, I mean, this is, you know, we, I joke a lot, but one of the reasons at the time when I was leaving is like so many of my lawyer friends were on antidepressants, anti-anxiety, suicidal, right? Like the suicide rates, the alcohol rates, the drug rates, all of those in these professions are very high for a reason. And yet none of us, we're doing like this Band-Aid kind of like, how do you learn how to handle your alcohol and how do you maybe get some mental health stuff instead of like, what if you're just so deeply unhappy where you're at that you shouldn't be there anymore? You know, like maybe that's not for you. And yet we're so tied into, well, I don't want to be a quitter, right? Like I don't want to be, I don't want people to think I couldn't cut it. I'd rather just be completely unhappy for the rest of my life. And we don't make that as a conscious decision, but we do make it. We're all making that choice. And one of the things I started realizing when I started questioning how absurd the standard was, was like, what is wrong with changing your mind? You know, it's a marker of growth. Like, hopefully you're not the same person that you were in your 20s. Hopefully at 30, 40, 50, you're you're growing, you're changing. So why are we deciding that like quitting something, changing really, just deciding, okay, that chapter is closed. I'm done with that. Now I want to move on why in the world would that be a negative thing? You know, like we want people to grow. We want them to learn more and change their mind and decide, hey, this isn't for me anymore. And so I think for me, one of the things I really like like to harp on is that you're always quitting something. 
Like everything in life is a decision and you have to, you have to put something on. So either you're quitting on your dreams, you're quitting on the life that you want so, so you can stay, so you can prove to people that you're successful. I don't know, you can prove that you're good enough. Or you quit the thing that's no longer working. Like you have enough kind of self-awareness to say, hey, this doesn't work for me anymore. I'm willing to quit that so that I can find the thing that does, or I can go after this dream that I had or whatever it is. And so I just think it's funny that we think that we're not like, I feel like we're just always quitting. It's just a decision. It's a choice. What am I going to like deciding not to leave is a choice. You're still deciding to stay. Deciding to leave is a choice, right? Like which choice do you want to make? Oh, that's so good. Because I think that I know, at least for me, especially in, you know, practicing as an OBGYN, it felt like a very myopic decision. Like, are you quitting something versus like quitting on your dreams? I think what you're talking about, I, I mean, like my mind is blown a little bit right now because I never thought about it as, you know, if I stay with my status quo, if I stay with being 200 pounds and feeling annoyed with my husband and my son and, you know, living in this life that I should be grateful for, but I'm not. <laughs> if I stay here, I'm quitting on a possibility for my future that I just hadn't even, I think I hadn't even really given myself permission to dream about. And I think that this is a big one, especially it's like, but what if, what if I can't cut it? What if my dream is not possible for me? Like, let me just stay with what's safe and what I know. And yet what we end up doing is we just quit on that future dream, which is, I think, so important. So like, how do you talk, like if somebody comes, like I can hear somebody, because this is me, I'm like, listen, so I could, you know, quit this, this either, you know, a marriage or a relationship or this job that I feel miserable and I could quit that, or I could quit on my dreams. How does somebody ask themselves and start to unravel that question for themselves? Because- they know that they're okay. They're quitting on one or the other. How do they know which which direction to go in? How do you know? That's a great question. And I think again, like a lot of us think that things like have to be really black and white, and you have to just make one decision and stop everything else. And you, I have to upend my life. I have to quit right now my job. And it never has to be like that, right? I think right now there's so many things that you can do to start exploring. Like I said, when you plant the seed and you start even thinking like. What else could be possible? Let's just start there, right? Let's start looking at like on nights and weekends, maybe I can look into what do other people do to make money? What could I do with this degree, right? And I think sometimes it's just that letting you see the possibility that will help you open up your like, not just your mind to it, but really start making more of a plan. So a lot of what I work on with people is I actually don't really recommend people quit before they know what they want to do. Like for me, it was a very painful time because I had to grapple with everything. There was a lot of shame and guilt and then the money and security and all of this other stuff. And I think that if you can, like when you're in this place of just really starting to think about it, just carving out some time to help yourself explore, to help yourself go deeper, to help yourself figure out who you are and what you want. How do you do that in small ways while you're still there? So I, I do want to say just because you're quitting, quote unquote, like it doesn't have to be like your quit dates today. You got to just decide that you're going to change everything this duality, like I talk a lot about how life is short and you have this one life and like, what are you going to do with it? But I also talk about how like life is long. And I think for me, I always tell people like, think about how many years you're going to work, right? Like I'm going to work for another 30 years, 25 to 30 years, like based on American standard right now, but with our longevity, probably more, probably 40 years. You know how many careers I could have in 40 years, right? It's like everything doesn't have to change today. Like you can decide if I have a five-year plan, if I want to set myself up to be able to leave in the next two, three, five years, 
Well, then there's a lot of other things I can explore in that time to figure out like what lights me up? What do I want to do? Right. Cause I think sometimes when we make that the question, it's so heavy. Like, do I stay or do I go? Cause you're like, I haven't figured it's so overwhelming that you're like, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. I can't deal with this. This is too much. I can't figure out all of like how it's going to affect my family and how it's. And so I, I just think like you don't ever have to do that. But to answer your question, like one of the things I think any decision, any decision you ever want to make, like there's no right or wrong. There's no, there's no right answer. Nobody can tell you for each person, it's going to be a different answer. So like, I can't tell you like, you all should quit your jobs. Like everybody should, you know, it's, it's obviously going to be different, but I always like to like, look at what are my reasons for making that decision? So if your reasons for staying are just fear-based, I'm scared, I'm going to fail. I'm scared. I'm not going to, you know, people are going to judge me. I'm scared that it won't work. You just have to ask, like, is that how I want to live from my fear? Like constantly just living in fear and never trying anything and never doing anything so that nobody ever has any negative opinion of me, even though they will anyways. Or, you know, like, are you making those decisions from all of your fears or do you make it from a place of like, I don't know, your desires, your hopes, like what you want to try in the world? Like when you start realizing, yeah, I don't know which way it's going to work out, but I want to build that muscle where I'm like, scared, but I do it anyway, but I have courage. I like, I go out and I, and so I just really like, like to help people get clean on what is the reason you're making this decision. Some of the people, like you're saying, like some people have reasons like, no, I really do love aspects of this job. Okay. Well then we can get clear on like, what aspects do I love? What is it that I want to, what could I do with it and stuff? But yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's so important. And it's so interesting because even as you're talking about you know, quitting a job versus, you know, quitting a future dream. It's like the the parallels that what, of what you're talking about with weight loss is it's exactly the same. You know, I, I've seen so many people quit on their dream ideal weight because they're afraid they're going to fail on the journey. They're afraid that they're going to try and fail. And so what ends up happening is we let our fear of failure lead us. And I really like to think about if you like what you're talking about, like, do you like your reason for choosing what you're choosing? If you decide, you know what, I want to lose 50 pounds, how does that feel for you? Versus like, you know what, I don't want to even try. And if you see me on video, like, I'm putting my hands up because it's like very fear driven. And I always want my audience, I want my clients to always think how small of a world we are living in if we let fear lead us as opposed to what you're talking about, which is practicing the muscle of embracing failure. There will be failure, especially if you have big dreams, there's going to be failure. You and I have learned this firsthand in our coaching mastermind. Like you, we like imagine the impact if we grew the muscle and our capacity to allow for failure, to expect it, to befriend ourselves along the way. Like what would that be like? Imagine that world that we got to live in. I mean, this is like, it transcends how you show up to your job, to your relationships, to weight loss. It's like for both. everything. It's everything. I mean, it's all of it. It's the most liberating thing that you can do is really get yourself to realize that you don't have to be perfect and that you can try things and fail and try again. And it doesn't ever have to mean anything about you. And I think that we have just been so many high achievers. One of the biggest problems for us is that because we were taught in a school system where you were taught that basically the point is to be perfect and to always get the high score and to never fail. We were given this lie as if the world ever works like that. And so we think, and a lot of us did do that, right? Like we always got the A. So we never had to grapple with that failure. And so when we fail, 
we think something has gone deeply wrong. But the reality is, is there's truly no way to do anything without failing. Like you try, you fail, you try again, right? It's like kids learning how to walk or ride a bike. You're never like, oh, you know, you fell off that bike. It's probably not for you. You're probably just not good at it. You should never try to ride a bike again, right? But that sounds absurd. And yet we think that that's the way it should be. And a lot of times when I talk to, you know, my people that are going after dreams, it's like, you've never heard of a story of someone being like, you know what? I started a business. I never had a problem. There was never a bump in the road. I knew how to do everything. Everything was what perfectly fine. And, or, you know, with anything, let's say you want to write a book, like every agent loved me. I never got rejected. Like it sounds absurd. And yet so many of us are like paralyzed with fear because we think if I take a step and it doesn't fail, then that means I wasn't cut out for it. It's not meant for me. I'm just whatever. Right. It's what we tell ourselves when we fail. And it's what we tell ourselves about ourselves. Like what did, what we make that failure mean about our inherent capabilities and our inherent skills. And it's like, I think that's the part that is so rigid. I think, especially for high achieving working moms, we're so rigid on what we make a failure mean that it's making our, uh, I mean, us live such a small life when we do that. Totally. And so that's why like, it's imperative whether you quit your job or not or whether whatever it is, is like learning to undo that. Learning to understand that like, of course I'm going to fail and I don't ever have to make it mean something about me or I don't have to attach a story to it. All right, tried that, didn't work out. Because like you said, I mean, it opens your world up. It liberates you to try things. Like I was just talking on a call yesterday about how like, I used to be terrified to try a hobby. Like I wouldn't go to a dance class because what if I don't know how to like, I'm going to look stupid. And if I don't, you know, get, and it's like, when you're saying, when you, when I think about how small my world was, like if I have to always be perfect, then I can never try anything new because I can only do the things I know I'm already good at. Right. And one of the things that I've found that has been the most liberating for me is that I have no idea what I'm going to do over the next 30 years. And I'm so excited about that because I'm like, let's try it all. Let's try to write a book. Let's try to, who cares? It doesn't work. Okay. At least like, you know, at the end, I'm going to look back and be like, I was in the arena. I was doing things. I was going after that biggest life. And like, yeah, I failed a ton and I fell flat on my face and I got up. Can you imagine your 2014 year old version of you? Like I'm even hearing you right now, right? Can you imagine? No. My husband yeah, says like, that to me all the time. What's so funny is I'll talk about like, you know, I'm like launching something great and I'm out and about like putting myself out there and I'm failing. And, and he always is like, I don't even know who you are. Like, I know we, we were, to, we've been together since we in 2004. So we had, you know, the time we'd been together for 10 years. And so he knew a very rigid version of me, a very type A, like through law school, that kind of the psychopath that I used to be. That is so and, funny. <laughs> yes. And so funny because it's like, it's like you don't even recognize who you become, but you've allowed yourself to grow and learn and evolve. It's so funny because my husband, I feel like this is like parallel lives because my husband and I also met, I think it was in 2003 or 2004. And we've been married for a long time. He literally said the same thing to me this past year. And this is like in the midst of how I have been now experiencing disappointment or failure or defeat or discouragement like in real life. And he's like saying the same thing. He's like, I mean, this is such a different version of who you are than who you were when I first met you. Like who you were when I first met you, it's like you wanted the bumper lanes. 
you know, playing bowling ball because you didn't want the ball to go in the gutter because of how that would feel. And like, look at you. And I'm like, it's yeah, exactly. yeah, man, look at me. Look, look, look at, at me. Oh, look at, look us, at go. it go. And, and I want all of you to know that's listening, like if you can do this because then you get to feel so deeply, this is what I get to feel grateful for. I did not need to feel grateful for my OBGYN job or my husband or my nice kids or my paycheck. I could feel grateful to myself for taking this leap and letting myself grow. I mean, 100%. that's real gratitude. Well, and the thing is, is like, absolutely, 100% to everything you said. But, and also like, I think about it, it's like what we thought we should have been grateful for. It's like, your kids are going to benefit so much more by you being this person than you being an OBGYN and making a certain paycheck. Like your kid, I'm not trying to say like, I'm, you know, uh, like in the same mastermind, like I'm all about making all the money, make all the money, get as rich as you want. I'm, I'm so for that but not at the expense of who you want to be and how you want to live your life. And I always think about exactly what you're saying. My relationship with my husband is so much better. My relationship with my kids, my experience of motherhood is so like just releasing the reins a little bit, this like death grip I had on like what everything had to look like and how everything had to be perfect. I just enjoy it so much more and they enjoy me so much more. And the ripple effect of that is worth so much more than any law degree or income, or status, or anything else. And that's why, like, I just harp on this stuff so much. It's like, I don't even care what you do. I don't care if you lose the weight. I don't care if you get the job, or the career, or the business, or whatever. I care about, like, who you become in the process of that, right? Like, I care about you learning to, like, liberate yourself from these ridiculous standards that have been put on you, and learning to say, like, no, I'm going to start listening to myself. What do I want here? My opinion matters. My needs matter. I want to do this. I want to, you know, it's like, that's the real reward. Everything else is oh. just. And like what you're talking about is, you know, there's one thing to teach your children and I call it lip service. Like, oh, go be like, go be a leader. Go like, you know, stand up for what's right. No, my friends, like we have to model it first and we have to live it. We have to experience it. And I mean, honestly, that's the real way that that they get all of this is by us modeling it to them. And to me, I mean, my husband actually is the one that said it. He said, you doing all of the things that you're doing, this coaching thing. He kind of was like this coaching thing. Yeah, he's like, I don't he know what's happening me, here, but yeah, he's like, you know, that coaching thing that you do, it's like literally changed the trajectory of our family's life. I mean, for, and for him to say that, and he's like, I not know. a, you know what I'm saying? It's huge to just understand the impact. I feel like you and me could just nerd out about coaching forever, but I wanted to just kind of take a pivot for a second and ask you about this idea where we are fearing failure. We, you know, we have the bumper lanes on and I know because I've been that, I think we both have. I think that, you know, what really would be helpful for anyone listening to this is to understand that we're fearing failure and it's normal because it's been programmed into us. But what what do we do in those moments where we're feeling the guilt, right? So we are feeling like we're not enough. This is like, you know, we are we, we want to be a certain kind of mom. We want to be a certain way at work because we think that that's where we're going to get our good enoughness and we're just not there. And we're like ridden with the guilt because of how we think we should be. I'm just curious, like, what is your experience with that? Because you've touched on guilt a couple of times. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Okay. So we have to take a step back from guilt first. And we all feel this, but like I said, it kind of at the beginning of this, when we were talking about like, we are all trying to live up to an impossible standard. And then we feel guilty for not hitting the standard. And what we try to do is let me work on my guilt. But you got to work on rejecting the standard. When you reject the standard, the guilt goes away, right? When you start, it's almost like 
the matrix, it's like, once you see the matrix, it's hard to not see it. You're like, oh my, this is absurd, right? So it's not going to happen overnight. Like we're so ingrained with these thoughts of what we should and shouldn't do. But I really want, especially my working moms to listen. But I think all moms is like, the standard that is put on us is untenable. No, you could run a million miles an hour. You could sleep one night, one hour a night. You could do all the things and you won't hit it. So part of what you have to start understanding is I don't need to hit this, right? Like, and so when I look at one, I think the post that you were talking about that I had posted is I talked about how the 40 hour work week was created at a time when men had somebody at home when they were working 40 hours. Somebody else was doing all of the cooking, the cleaning, the grocery shopping, taking care of the kids, school, all of that stuff, right? So it's like you weren't expected to do that stuff when you also got off at work at five or six, right? None of that has changed. And in fact, we don't even have 40-hour work weeks. It's most like 50, 60. We're always tied to our email. We're constantly like our, we're all constantly thinking about it. And on top of that, like even though women now have like, you know, we've made such strides in the working world. We never changed that. We were like, okay, yeah, now I'll work all that and I'll do everything else and I'll have to somehow manage. And then on top of that, when you look at, and the example I was giving is like just the school system and how insane it is. Like there's no way to be a working parent and handle the school system because it's like, here's an 11 a.m. like family, like a school function, like 11 a.m. Like what are we talking about? Yeah. For like 15 minutes, can you be here at 11 to come for a Thanksgiving? No, I can't because I have work, right? Or even like the fact that school ends at three and most people don't get off work till five or six. Like it was made at a time when there was someone that was going to deal with the children, right? And then you look at like the parenting standard and like we always raise children for millennia, you know, thousands and thousands of years in a community, in a village. You were never meant to be everything to to your child, right? And when you look back, even in the last hundred years, like there's tons of studies that show that stay-at-home moms in the 60s didn't spend as much time with their children as working moms today do, okay? So, like, you really have to take that in, where it's like, we all know, we grew up in times where it was like, you come home, you go outside, and you play, you come back in at dinner. It's like, your mom is not sitting on the floor doing Legos with you, or sitting next to you while you do your home. My parents didn't know when I had homework. Like, I just, there was never a conversation of, like, You know, it was like, I just went upstairs and I did my homework myself. And now the standard is so absurd. It's like, and I'm not saying it was, you know, right. Like the pendulum before where like kids are to be seen and not heard and nobody ever cared at all about the emotional well-being of children. Nobody's saying that was right. But we swung so far to the opposite place where we think that it's our job to constantly make sure our children are happy and to make sure they're never, you know, and like, so we kill ourselves to be these helicopter parents. And that's not doing anyone any favors. It's not even helping. Like the thing is like, if like we did that and like everybody was happy and the kids were thriving, okay, maybe. But it's like, we now have a generation that's filled with anxiety who doesn't know how to handle anything because their parents took care of everything, right? So when you start realizing this, Like you have to start defining your role for yourself. Like one of the things I had to start doing was asking myself, like everybody else is like, when I say in the matrix, like we all are are just breathing this air where it's like, I got to decorate the house and I got to do the elf on the shelf and I got to, you know, we got to do holiday cookies for the neighbors and everybody's got to do whatever it is. I mean, I'm saying this because we're in Christmas. All of the shoulds. And it's like every single should. So like everybody think about all of your list of shoulds, like 
what you think you should be doing. Yeah. That's why I had my people, we were doing in November, we were doing how to do less. And I, and I think it's a really powerful exercise. Sit down and write down everything that you should do. Write it down for work, write it down for home, write it down for your mental health, write it down for health, write it down for your relationships, friendships, your kids. Once you start seeing it, it's so absurd. And you're like, wait, I mean, there's, and so you realize you're setting yourself up to fail. You're telling yourself the, I have to do 4 million things in a day where I only have, you know, like five hours of time outside of work. Like, how is this possible? And then you wonder at the end of the day, it's like, and I, where's my me time? I mean, there is no me There's time, no, my friends. No, when you're doing isn't. your like thick rule book of every single should, it'll be the nine o'clock, two glasses of wine and a plate of nachos. I mean, that was my story, right? Like, I don't have any time for me, but like I could microwave a plate of nachos. At totally. Least. Totally. And I feel a little bit better because I keep like, I'm trying to numb out all these feelings of like, this isn't fair. Like we know there's something wrong, right? We know it shouldn't be like this, but we're like, well, I I'm helpless. And that's the biggest lie. The biggest lie is that I can't do anything. And really understanding that you can, that it's not going to be comfortable because everyone around you is going to still be doing the same thing. It's so it's really under, like for me, it's I've now become like the joke in my family and, and I'm totally fine with it. I love it that like I'm just the parent who like phones it in. Like like my kid comes home is like, oh, they need to volunteer. I'm like, nope, not going to be me. You know, and he, <laughs> I'll help him navigate. I, I love it. Him, yeah. I'll help him navigate his disappointment, but I'm like, I'm not doing it. And my, my cousin is very like the room mom and team, you know, team mom and She's a stay-at-home mom, loves it. Great for her. I'm so happy for her, right? I'm not that girl. And so we always, and she's like my best friend. So it's funny because like she's always ribbing me and I'm always ribbing her about like how ridiculous, like we both just think the other person is so ridiculous. But I'm okay with people, like everyone in my family is just like, oh my God, goalie, you're being so lazy or what? And I was like, yeah, I am. I am. Because you know what? Like, yeah, I t- it's such a badge of honor for me at this point because I'm like, exactly going back to like, what do I want to model for my children? Like, I want my children to know that like my dreams matter. My needs matter, that they're allowed to rest, that they don't have to do what everybody else says they want to do. Like, we all want this. We want our kids not to be followers. We want our kids to be independent. But then we just model and show them like, no, make sure no one's ever mad at you. Make sure you always do everything. So everybody's always happy. Right. And when I made that, when I started changing the definition of my role for myself, I kept thinking like, what is my role as a mom? Is my role to always be at every school gathering to constantly like make sure my kids aren't bored at home to constantly make sure I have four, you know, shuttle them around to 47 sporting events. When I started realizing like not only my role, but like what is important in our life is not just my kids' happiness. Like our whole family unit is important. And what's going to make us all thrive is like each one of us getting the things we need. Each one of and us. You are a part of your family I unit. I am a part of it. A very central a, key figure. Yes, exactly. So this is a very long-winded way of saying when you do that work, you can hand the, the guilt comes because you're still telling yourself, I should be doing this. And when you really truly understand, I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. It's not helping. I think like them. what you're saying is like in terms of even challenging this, it's not even about uh, thinking about the guilt differently. It's like discovering that you've been in the matrix. And I think like for anyone that's listening, go back a few minutes and listen to the exercise that you suggested because it's like you start to see the matrix that you've been in, the rule book that you've had. And it's like just being aware of it is that moment, right? That you get to challenge like, wait a second, maybe I don't want this anymore. Are there any things that you can like think about that might be a takeaway for someone listening to this 
That's like, okay, I see that I'm in the matrix. I can see like all these rules that I've had, all the shoulds. What would you say like a tangible thing that they can do with that? Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give you a really easy tool to figure out your shoulds because a lot of times it's not conscious. So we all have invisible rules that we live by. We just like have just decided that this is the rule and we don't know where it came from, but we just decide. So one thing to constantly ask yourself is like, what should I always do in this situation? What should I never do? Right. So like, let's say I start feeling guilt and part of it's like my kid comes home and is upset and whatever. And I realize my rule is, oh, I should always try to prevent any problem from happening so that my kid is never upset. I should always try to prevent my kid from crying. Like, I realize that's kind of an absurd rule because I can never do that. And that's not what my role should be, right? Like, when I discover it, I it starts becoming easier, like the shoulds of like, do I even want that? But another really quick tangible thing about guilt that I really love that just helps me reframe is Guilt is a good emotion actually to have because it helps you live within your own morals and values, right? If it wasn't so overblown. And so one of the things that I like doing is really figuring out like there's rules in society and then there's our own morals. And let's say society tells us that you shouldn't beat your children. And I also have the moral and value that I shouldn't beat my children. So if I hit my child, I want to feel guilty, right? I want that to be like, I... And it doesn't mean that like I'm a terrible person. It could be like, hey, why did I lose my temper? What, whatever. Like I can use that. Guilt. It matters to you, right? Yes, it's and something it that matters be, to you. And it can be something that can I can help change my behavior, right? But as another example, let's say society tells you you shouldn't jaywalk, right? But I can jaywalk, and I don't normally feel guilty because I'm like, all right, it's I get the reason why they have these rules, but I'm not like doing anything morally wrong, right? So I don't feel guilty. So what I like to ask myself this is all coming around, is like whenever I'm feeling guilty, I just ask myself, do I think I'm doing something wrong here? Do I think me not going to my child's, you know, 15-minute school project is like a wrong thing to do as a mother, right? And it helps me recalibrate really quickly. Like, of course, I feel guilty because everybody else, because I don't want him to feel bad and everybody told me I should and everyone else is doing it. But I get rooted in like, I'm not doing anything wrong by saying like my calls and my schedule today also matters and I have to get this done. And it's, hey, you know, like you're going to learn that sometimes we don't get exactly what we want and that's okay in life. We can like navigate that. Like it helps me sort of realize that like, okay, this guilt isn't actual guilt I want to hold on to. This is like society putting on what they think I should do. And the more you strengthen that muscle, the more it becomes easier. Like, I don't have to do this. Like, for me now, it's very, I'm very kind of clear in what my role is, what I want to do, what I don't, when I kind of want to give in and, you know. But in the beginning, it's just good to sort of slow yourself down and be like, am I doing something wrong? If I'm not, then why am I feeling guilty? Let's just challenge it, right? And I think that this kind of speaks just to tie it back to what we said at the kind of the start of today's conversation is this idea that it's okay to go in small steps. So the very first step is like, you just, okay, I've been in the matrix. Okay. So I have all these rules. And then in real time, like, oh, do I love this? I mean, do I really think I'm doing something wrong? And then I think what your point is, is as you practice this muscle again and again and again, you start to develop a new set of self-created rules where, I mean, it's consciously created, not something you were taught when you were two or three years old, but you create it. And then now you get to be flexible in how you operate within that. And it becomes easier. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It's definitely it's uncomfortable. okay. And for all my perfectionists out there, there just isn't a time where like you don't have this kind of where you're like, oh, I never feel guilty. And I always like, teach this stuff. I've done so much work. And I still 
constantly I'm like, oh, should I just give in and like volunteer? Should I? Because like I said, I mean, when you're in, like when a fish is in water, it doesn't, you're in that water. You're just constantly around it. So you don't have to be perfect at this. It's like, I always, honestly, I truly feel like, because like you were saying the all or nothing, so many of us are like, well, then I'm just going to become a selfish person that only puts my own needs first. And I'm never, it's like, no, no, there's an ocean between where you're at now and there, right? Like we're just talking about some gray area. Like, can you find an hour where it's okay that your kids are disappointed that you're going to go for a walk, but you still go for it. Right. So it's really understanding that this is just this push and pull. There's never like, oh, I'm completely rid of guilt. And I, I'm just going to go through my life and always, you know, never care what anyone else thinks. Like, no, you're human and you will. But can I start like becoming a little more intentional? Can I decide like, no, today I'm not going to guilt myself for this and like slowly build that muscle? This is so good. I feel like we could have talked for four more hours on all of the things. I mean, if we're going to talk again, obviously. But anyways, I hope you guys, this has been so, so, so helpful. Can you tell all the people where they can hear more about all of this and find you and all of the things? Tell us. Yes, come find me. You can pretty much find me everywhere at Lessons from a Quitter. So that's my podcast, my Instagram, where I really hang out the most. If you're on TikTok, you can follow me there. But if you are interested in doing more of this work around your career as well, and you want more information on the Quitter Club, you can go to lessonsfromaquitter.com slash Quitter Club and join us. I would love to have you all there. I love it, you guys. Absolutely go check her out. And Goalie, this has been so good. I loved having you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Bye. Listen, if you feel ready to finally reach your ideal weight, feel better, lighter, and stronger living your real working mom life, then here's what I want you to know. I have created a special, very intimate, small coaching group experience just for high-achieving working moms like you. The Unstoppable Group, which is my signature six-month coaching experience, is starting soon. And this is the last week of the year that my calendar is open for us to connect on a call. Here's what I want you to really know and to understand. Taking action right now matters. Don't wait on this. Don't wait another day or another week. Go to theunstoppablemombrain.com forward slash connect and let's connect on a call. Book your call with me today and let's talk about exactly how our work together is going to help you lose the weight and feel better starting now. I cannot wait for you to experience coaching inside the Unstoppable group and I cannot wait to connect with you on a call. I'll see you there. Bye. Thanks for listening to Weight Loss for Unstoppable Moms. It's been an honor spending this time with you and your brilliant brain. If you want more information or resources from the show, visit theunstoppablemombrain.com.